Well, good morning. We are glad to be here. Thank you for welcoming us here this morning. And uh, we're grateful for all the things that are in store, not only today, but in the days ahead. You know, we are so grateful to be here. And we've been excited for this day for a long time. Uh, and not only for this day, but like I said, for all the days ahead of us. And so you might be wondering, you probably heard, we've actually been in town for about three weeks now, I think. And so why is today, November 3rd, the first Sunday that we're here at Trinity? And this is the, the first Sunday that I'm the, the senior pastor here. Well, it's, it's actually really simple. If you can read my mind, you would know that you noticed today is daylight savings time, right? So I thought I'll have an extra hour to get up and whip a sermon together and, and show up and preach it. OK, uh, no, that's actually not true. Uh, but it was a time change this morning. And uh, I actually think that's an interesting uh, uh, thing to have happened here on the first Sunday, that it's a change of, of time, but also a changing of the times here at Trinity. And, and we're excited to see uh, what God has for us in the days ahead and, and, and the things that he wants to do here at this church. And we're grateful to be a part of that. Um, first of all, before I begin to preach the word, I have a few things I want to say, and really a few things I want to say uh, to a couple of key groups of people here this morning. And, and the first uh, group that I want to talk to is actually my family. So uh, my two boys, Mac and Gus, who are seven and four, have already gone off to the kids' ministry. But to them, I would want to say I'm excited for them and to see what growth they experience here at Trinity. And excited that they get to be a part of the kids' ministry, which is uh, led so well by Kara and all her other volunteers. Um, to my three girls who are sitting here, uh, Ruby, who's 13, Maggie, who's 12, Bonnie Kate, who's 10. Uh, I'm so proud of you girls uh, and, and how you've seen these days as an adventure and as an opportunity. And, you know... Uh, not every day is easy. Uh, not every day has been easy since we decided to make this move. But God has already given us a lot of fun days and good days, and I trust that he'll give us many more in the days to come. And as the days go by, I pray that Trinity Church and Covington, Louisiana, will be a place that's full of growth and full of friends for you. And to my wife, uh, thank you for encouraging me uh, and, and, and helping guide our family through this move. Y'all know that Sarah works at least twice as hard as I do. Um, and so I'm grateful uh, to God for her and that she's part of this team. So to my family, I'm excited that we are all here together and that uh, we get to, to continue this adventure together. But the second group I want to talk to this morning is to all of you here at Trinity Church. Those of you who are members, uh, those of you who just attend here, some of you might even be here for the very first time. Whatever the case may be, I wanted to just say uh, thank you for welcoming us here. We've already felt welcomed over the last couple of weeks. Many of you have brought food to our house uh, and, and things like that. And, and thank you for calling me here as one of your pastors, uh, one of your shepherds. I believe that God's hand has really been evident in this whole process uh, as as the Good Shepherd has guided us to come here and the Good Shepherd has guided this church to call us here. And so we look forward, our, our whole family looks forward to joining this family, this church family. We want to grow here with you. So, you know, I'm the lead pastor, the senior pastor, uh, one of the shepherds of this church. But we, the Busnitz family, are also sheep along with all of you who need to follow the good shepherd. And we trust and believe that this church family is where God has called us to do that. And we look forward to seeing uh, how that happens in the days ahead. So it's my hope and prayer 
uh, that in these days ahead there will be days of growth, spiritual growth, not only for Trinity Church, but also for the whole business family as a part of this church. And as your pastor, I commit to faithfully preach the word, uh, to pray for you, God's people, and to be available to shepherd you through uh, the, the situations of life that come up and, and to lead you through those things and to lead this church family. Uh, but the third group and the last group of people I want to talk to this morning is the Trinity Church leadership. And I was just up here with Sarah on the platform with the elders. And I want to say thank you for that, uh, George, for, for leading that group as the chairman and also for uh, for those words and for that prayer and just a recognition that God has called us here um, and, and excited to see what it is that he wants to accomplish through this church. So to the elders of Trinity Church, I look forward to leading and shepherding this church with you. Uh, God has called not only me, but each one of you uh, to be shepherds of this church. Uh, and it's been a privilege already to begin to get to know you. And I look forward to uh, working closely with you, each of you in the days ahead. ahead. And so also here uh, in leadership would be the staff. So to Miguel uh, and Kara and Amy, uh, I just want you to know how grateful I am that I get to be on a team with you all and that uh, to, to learn to get to know with you to know you and to dream and plan and work together to guide this church family forward. And uh, I just want to thank you for dedicating this portion of your life to serving God uh, on, as part of the staff here in this church. And then to all the other ministry leaders who are part of leadership here, I just want to say thank you for serving the church. I've met many of you. Uh, I don't know many of you yet, well yet, but thank you for serving God. And I've heard so many good things about, about how this church is sharing the love of Jesus and multiplying his love here in this community and around the world. And so I look forward uh, to serving with all of you as leaders in the days ahead. But above all, um, I think my thing that I want us to realize this morning on this first Sunday here is that our goal at Trinity is that we want to follow Jesus together. Um, I'm a follower of Jesus just like you are, if you know him. And so whether you're a member of Trinity Church leadership, a member of the congregation, whether you're a member of the Busnitz family uh, or just someone who's new here and is attending this morning, I would just invite you to follow Jesus with me. And I look forward to doing that in the days ahead with you. So let's uh, let's give Jesus all the glory like we already have been this morning. Let's just uh, continue with a word of prayer. So bow with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son. Lord, we thank you for this chance to worship together as a church family this morning. God, we are grateful that you've brought us here, and Lord, I pray that you would uh, take us where you want us to go. Lord, just bless uh, the reading of your word this morning and uh, help us to, to hear your message. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So this morning, we're going to begin a series on the book of Colossians, and I've been looking forward to this for several months now, uh, but... It, this, the title of this series is In Christ Alone. And you know, on a morning like this, uh, when we're commissioning a new pastor, uh, and we're having a lunch afterwards to celebrate, it'd be easy to think that uh, we have a spotlight, and the spotlight is on Marcus Business, on this new senior pastor. But when we look at Colossians, what I want us to realize is that the spotlight is not on me at all. In fact, uh, if it is on me, it, then that means I'm failing as my, at my job as a pastor. I want the, the spotlight to be placed fully and directly on Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what the book of Colossians does. Um, it puts our attention on Jesus Christ, our Savior. And, you know, we've already done that this morning with communion. 
uh, focusing and remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us, celebrating that together as a family, remembering what he's done. Uh, but we want to do continue with that this morning in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Um, early in my, my pastoral career, my preaching career, I remember I... We had kind of a pre-service meeting in the back room at my church and we would pray, uh, you know, for the service and talk through the details and, and then we'd all kind of break and go to our spots. And, and one Sunday I left my notes back there for a little bit. Okay. And so all of a sudden I remembered I'd left them back there. So I went running back there and one of my buddies, one of the other pastors at the church, uh, had taken a pen and written something at the top of my notes. And it was John chapter 12, verse 22. And, and if you're familiar with John 12, this is a place in the Gospel of John where Jesus and his disciples are kind of traveling around talking to people. And all of a sudden it says these Greeks showed up and told, and told Jesus' disciples, they basically, here's what they said, word for word, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And my buddy wrote that at the top of my sermon notes. And in reality, I've never forgotten that because I think that's really the goal of every sermon that I preach. Every time we open God's word, and I would hope that's the heart of everyone in this room, that as you show up to hear God's word preached and proclaimed is that you would say to me, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And so that's our goal this morning is that we shine the spotlight on Jesus and his word and, and what it is that he wants us to see. You know, I think there's a real danger for churches and for Christians. Uh, and that would be to say, yeah, Jesus is very important in my life. In fact, I give Jesus a very important place in my life. In fact, I give him a prominent place in my life. Uh, you know, he's one of the most important things to me. And that's a really dangerous thing. Because Jesus is important, but he's not just one of the important things. And as we'll see, there's actually a word in Colossians 1, we're going to read it in just a minute, that Jesus is not just a prominent part of our life. Jesus is the preeminent part of our life. And so the danger is that we treat him as kind of something important, and maybe uh, he's prominent on certain days of the week, like Sunday. Or he's prominent in our life and in our conversation when we're with certain groups of people. But we treat him as important here and then kind of forget about him over there. And so as we go through the book of Colossians, what I want us to see is that he is not just prominent in our lives. He is preeminent. He is the most important thing in our lives. In Christ alone do we find eternal life. He deserves so much more. And so um, that is why, as you see, our sermon title today is, is We Worship Christ Alone. Uh, we worship him because he alone is worthy of our worship. You know, Colossians is a unique book. Uh, in chapters 1 and 2, we're going to be in one chapter 1 today, chapter 2 next week. Colossians 1 and 2 talk a lot about what we believe as Christians, especially what we believe about Jesus. Really like no other book in the New Testament, it really focuses in on here is who Jesus is and what he's done. And it focuses on what we believe because then we see in chapters 3 and 4, what we believe really affects how we live our lives. And so that's where we're going to be going uh, in the next few weeks. So uh, some have said, uh, as we jump into Colossians 1 here, that Colossians 1 is really one of the richest and deepest theological chapters in the New Testament. So many deep truths. So many deep truths. And, and I realize it's, you know, 1045 this morning. And in reality, our stomachs feel like it's already 1145, right? So, uh, so we're not going to be able to actually dig into every single truth that's here, but I do want to hit on several things as we go through the text this morning. 
one thing I want you to listen for as we go through this book, and we're going to read it, uh, I'll read it out loud. Uh, there are a couple of key phrases that I want you to notice in these verses that just happen over and over again. This is one of those basic Bible study skills that you don't ever want to miss, is when you see something repeated over and over again in Scripture, is to say, why is it being repeated? And these two phrases, or phrases that are very similar to them, uh, are repeated over and over again in our text today. This phrase that he is, it's talking about Jesus. He is what? Or in him, blank. Really what we're talking about is who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And so as I read this out loud, uh, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read these verses. So please stand, listen for those two phrases, and then we're going to kind of dwell on those and see what it is that God wants us to see about our Savior, Jesus Christ. So... Colossians 1, verses 13 through 23. Listen and follow along as the screens as I leave, or you can read it, or you can uh, uh, look in your Bible. So it begins this way. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks be to God for his precious, precious word. So why do we worship Christ alone? I think those 11 verses really give us some really key reasons why we gather every Sunday, why we call ourselves Christians, and why we worship Him alone. And we want to begin with, if you have a worship guide, there are a couple of blanks there, but the very first reason we worship Christ alone is because in Him we have redemption. Okay, in Him we have redemption. Did you notice how many times it said in Him or He is, and it just describes all these amazing truths about Jesus Christ, our Savior. But in Him, we begin with this fact that we have redemption. I love those two verses, uh, verses 13 and 14, that really just um, tell us who Jesus is. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Really, there are actually kind of four words in those two verses that tell us what Jesus did. It says in verse 13, uh, he has delivered us. That's word number one. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And number two, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. So he's redeemed us the forgiveness of sins. And number four, he's forgiven us. So when it says we have redemption, there's a lot going on right there. That's a really big word. And here's the thing. It's easy to come to church and even to take communion and say, oh, yeah, I'm redeemed. I'm saved by Jesus. But we got to stop and say, wait, what does that mean? What do we mean when we say we've been redeemed? You've been delivered. You've been delivered. 
from the domain of darkness. I want you to picture the idea of a, a prison without lights. You're in solitary confinement. No hope of ever getting out of this place. It's smelly. It's nasty. It's terrible. And Jesus says, I have come to deliver you from that hopeless place. If you've trusted me, I have delivered you. And guess what? Here's the thing about us as humans. We're forgetful, aren't we? Maybe God saved you in a miraculous way that you were going down, down, down in a way to a place that was not good. And Jesus snatched you away from that and and you were saved. Sometimes we even forget that. Or you could have a story like mine. I grew up in a Christian family, uh, uh, came to know Christ at a really early age. And so I'm like, you know, Jesus saved me. But I mean, it wasn't really that bad before he saved me, was it? That's not what Colossians says. Colossians says he has delivered you from the domain of darkness. Y'all, apart from Jesus, that's where we are. We're in a dark prison with no hope. In fact, we're there eternally sentenced to death. Apart from Jesus, but through Jesus, we have been delivered from that hopeless place. And it says, not only did he deliver you and then just kind of turn you free and said, all right, good luck. You're on your own. It says, no, he has transferred you to the kingdom of uh, the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So we've come into this kingdom and who's the king? It's Jesus. It's his beloved son. And think about that title for Jesus right there. He is the beloved son of God. What did it cost God to purchase our forgiveness? It cost him the life of his beloved son. And that's what it costs to transfer us into this new kingdom where we follow a new king, the king who loves us, who loved us so much that he would die in our place. He took the death that we deserved. And that's what we call redeeming us. This idea of of redemption. It says you have redemption, the forgiveness of your sins. Redemption is a word that means that uh, uh, you had a debt that you couldn't pay and somebody else came in and paid that debt for you. You were sentenced to death and you had to pay the penalty of death for whatever sin you've done, whether it was just little ones, you might think, or really big ones. Jesus said, or God says, all of them are the same in my sight. One little sin is enough to condemn you to eternity without me. And so Jesus came in and says, I have paid the price for that through my death. I died the death that you were supposed to die. And that's what we call redemption. And, and the result of that is that our sins are forgiven. Because as you remember, when God created the world, everything was perfect. And then Adam and Eve came along and sinned. And they broke that perfection. And now we are sinful people. We cannot have a relationship. We can't be friends with God. We can't live with him. We can't have a relationship with him until Jesus came to redeem us, to pay the penalty, and to forgive us and wipe away all our sins. That's what we have in Jesus. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So that first point, this idea of him being our redeemer, we could, you could write off to the side there, he is our savior. He is the only one who could save us from our sin. What's interesting there is you're going to see in just a minute, Colossians chapter one especially talks a lot about how Jesus is fully God, but it also talks about how he is fully human. He alone is the one person who could pay the debt that we owe. Because he was fully God and fully human. We're going to come back to that. So first of all, in him we have, the re- we have redemption. He is the Savior who took away our sins. The penalty for our sins. But secondly, what we see is he is the Lord of all creation. 
You know, I didn't put this up there as a word you could look for, but as we read through Colossians 1, or if you go back and read it again later today, all is another word that's repeated over and over and over again. All things, all things under heaven are under him. And and so we, we summarize all these verses, verses 15 through 17, by basically saying he is the Lord of all creation. He is the king of all creation. Where do we see that? Verse 15 says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So he is fully God. Now there's been, over the, the centuries of the church, there's been some controversy about that verse. Because some people would say, oh yeah, he's just the image of God. He's not really God. He's just like kind of like God because of that word image. Well, guess what? Uh, you can't get off that easy. In fact, if you read the rest of scripture and if we look at what else Colossians says about Jesus, he's not just a copy of God. He is God. He is fully God. Uh, skip ahead to verse 19. Uh, for in him, again, this is that phrase in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It doesn't say part of it, you know, just a little bit of God was in Jesus or, um, or, or, you know, all of the good parts or, you know, what it doesn't say anything like that. It says all of the fullness of God dwelled in Jesus. Jesus is fully God. That can blow your mind, right? That there is a human who lived who was also fully God. There is no one else like him. That's why he is the only one that we worship. And when we say we worship Jesus, uh, worship Jesus who is fully God, we are also saying we worship the triune God, aren't we? Uh, because Jesus says, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are one God. Uh, Jesus says in John, uh, if you know the Father, you know me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So when we worship Jesus, we are worshiping God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he is Lord of all creation because he's fully God. He's also the firstborn of all creation. Again, this is another one of those phrases that's caused people trouble over the years. They say, well, he's the firstborn. What does that mean? Like God created him and then, and then, uh, he was kind of the first, first one that was created. And, and no, the answer is no. Jesus was not created. Jesus existed with God before the foundations of the world. So why would they, why would Paul use the word firstborn? So, what we have to realize is that firstborn doesn't always mean like in time, a relation to time. Does that make sense? It's more of a relation to importance. So, for example, King Solomon in the Old Testament was called the firstborn among David's sons. But was he the firstborn? No, he was not. He was probably son number, uh, you know, 50. Uh, and so uh, so he was not the, fir- the literal firstborn, but he was the most important the preeminent one, if you will. So this title, firstborn among all creation, means he is the most important thing in all creation. Jesus is the most important thing in all creation. That's why we worship him. He is the most important thing. And it says, in him, all things were created. Uh, John chapter 1, this, this kind of echoes what John tells us in his gospel. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And when we say word in in John 1, word is another title for Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. How amazing is that? Again, Jesus is the word, the one who came to transfer us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's own beloved son. 
So he is the Lord of all creation because he's fully God. He's the firstborn of all creation. In him, all things were created. Um, Psalm 33 is something I was reading earlier this morning. Actually, I love it how God does that sometime. It was the Psalm I was reading this morning. I was like, this is exactly what we're talking about. So listen to these words about how God created the world. And think about it is through our Savior, Jesus Christ, that this happened. Psalm 33, uh, I'm going to read verses 6 through 9. It says, by the word of the Lord... The heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the water of the sea as a heap, and he puts the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. If you think about the stories of Jesus in the Gospels, when he was in the boat with his disciples, and the sea was going crazy, it said there was a great storm, And Jesus stood up and said, peace be still. And then there was a great calm. Um, Why did they listen to him? Because he is the Lord of all creation. He's the one who spoke and created the oceans, the waves, the seas, the rivers, the mountains. Jesus created everything. And that is why we worship him. He is the Lord of all creation. He is before all things. Verse 17, in him all things hold together. All things hold together. Let me ask you a question about that. Does it ever feel to you that sometimes all things are not holding together? Things are kind of falling apart. Has anybody in here ever experienced that? Um, I think all of us have. And that's why we walk by faith and not by sight. We have faith in the Lord of all creation who we know will one day return to set all things right. And so we know that in him all things hold together, whether we can see it or not. All things are working together according to his good plan. So if you put off to the side of of point number one, that in him we have redemption, he is our savior. Point number two, he is the Lord of all creation. You can write, he is our creator. Uh, Point number three is that he is also the Lord of the new creation. The new creation. And what are we talking about? What is the new creation? Well, it says there in verse 18, uh, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the head of the body, the church. And so what is the church? Well, the church is the new creation that God has created in order to bring a redemption to all of creation. Okay, do you all understand this with me? God says that creation is broken and Adam and Eve messed it up. And guess what? Every single one of us has just followed right along in their footsteps. Willingly, we are all sinners. And God says, I want to bring redemption and forgiveness to all people, to anyone who will trust in me. And how am I going to do that? Well, let me tell you, plan A is the church, okay? Plan A is the church, the body of Jesus Christ. And guess what? There is no plan B. That's not, that's something, there is no plan B. God says, I'm going to bring redemption to the world. I'm going to bring redemption to Covington, Louisiana, to the United States, to the entire world. And it's going to be through the church, through local churches like Trinity Church. And so he says, I am the Lord of that new creation, this new thing that I've created, which is the church. And so uh, the idea here is, is really interesting to me. It's a picture that he gives us. He says the church is the body of Christ and Christ is the head. So literally think about a human body. How does a body know what to do? Well, it's when the head kind of tells it what to do, right? The brain instructs it to do the things it's supposed to do. And so if a body is functioning healthy in a healthy way, uh, it's going to be doing what the head tells it to do. So brothers and sisters, our head is Christ. Make no mistake this morning as we 
commission a new senior pastor, I am not the head of Trinity Church, okay? Jesus Christ is the head of this church. And we follow him and we follow his word. And so uh, it's an incredible picture that God gives us that we are the body uh, and we are called to go about and do all sorts of different things to bring people into the kingdom. But he is the head. He is the one who directs it all. And so we learn his word, we follow his word, and we follow the head. And so I ask you that this morning. Are you willing to listen to the head of your church, Jesus Christ? And how are you listening to him? Where do you hear him speak? How do you listen to his word uh, as an individual or as a group or as a family? How are you listening to him so that you can follow the instruction from your head? Think about that. So he is the Lord of new creation, verses 18 through 20. He reconciles, verse 20, it says, He reconciles to Himself all things, all things in heaven and on earth. One day all creation will be restored through this person, Jesus Christ. What an amazing person He is. Fourthly, we see that in Him is the gospel. We began with redemption and we're ending with the gospel. Really, we're sandwiching all this in the middle, but we're coming back to this idea that Jesus is the Savior. Look at what these verses say, uh, verses 21 and 22. It says this, and you, so fill in your name there, that's plural, it's saying all of you, but put your name in there, say, and you, Marcus, who once were alienated and hostile in your mind, you were doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in the body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So what did I do? Uh, Let's see here. Nothing good. I was alienated and hostile. I was doing evil deeds. I didn't do anything good. But what does it say that he did? He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present me blameless. We celebrated communion to remember this body of his flesh that was broken for us. His blood was shed. Every drop of his blood was precious because it purchased your redemption your salvation. And that is why, that is the gospel. Really what we have here in these verses is the summary of the gospel. Apart from God, here's what you were doing. You were helpless. You were on your own going the wrong direction. You may have thought you were going the right direction. And you might even, if you don't know Jesus, you might think you're going the right direction. You might say, I'm pretty good. I'm doing good things. And I think if I'm good enough, I'll get there eventually. Guess what? That means you are going the wrong direction. The right direction is to turn to Jesus alone and say, Lord, I know that only through you can I be reconciled to God. Apart from you, I am an enemy of God. It says you are hostile to God, but you can have forgiveness through your Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is why we gather on Sundays to worship him alone. So again, in him is the gospel. He is our Savior. Which brings us to the last thing, point number five. What is our response? What is our response? Well, I think if you read through all of Colossians chapter 1, what's really happening here in Colossians 1 is Paul talks to us and talks to the church as he is worshiping. That's the very first thing he's doing. And we skipped over those first few verses, but it talks about how uh, Paul is praying, a prayer of thanksgiving for the believers. And then he's praying to God um, to ask God to to keep them growing. And and what I love about this is uh, this is actually a passage that I have prayed for Trinity Church. And I would encourage all of you, take these words and pray them for this church. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. 
I've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus, and I've heard about the way that you love people in this community and love people within this church. And so for that reason, I give God thanks. And we want to praise him for that. But again, the big thing that Paul is doing in this chapter is worshiping. He's teaching, yes, but he's worshiping and thanking God and giving him all the glory and saying, Jesus, you are amazing. You are like no other person I've ever met or ever will meet. And that is why we worship you. And so that's what he does. He worships in prayer. Um, he worships through the teaching and just reflecting. And, and some would even call verses seventeen, uh, verses 15 through 20 like a hymn, basically. It's almost like a song that he's singing, proclaiming the truth about Jesus. Guess what, y'all? This is, this is biblical, to proclaim the truth about what Jesus is, who he is, and what he's done. That's what we do when we sing songs. When Miguel uh, and the worship team leads us through worship is we are proclaiming to ourselves uh, the truth about God. So we worship in prayer. We've worshiped in communion. But guess what? Colossians says uh, it's not enough for you to worship on Sunday morning when you're here. <laughs> really, all of life is called to be worship. And we're going to talk more about that in week three, that in, in everything we do, all of it is to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll talk about what that means. Um, so we worship, but also don't miss this. This is the other thing that we are called to do from this passage from chapter one is we worship and we also proclaim the gospel. We proclaim the gospel. And how do we do that? I think uh, verse 28, skip down to verse 28. It says, him we proclaim. Some of your versions may, may say he is the one that we proclaim. We're not proclaiming Trinity Church. We're definitely not proclaiming Marcus. We are proclaiming the name of Jesus to the people around us. But I think here's what's even more important. God asks us to proclaim the gospel to ourselves every single day. Uh, that's what we do when we celebrate communion. We are proclaiming to ourselves that, hey, Jesus alone is the one who saved us through his broken body and his shed blood. We are proclaiming that to ourselves. We are also called to proclaim that to the people around us. He is the one we proclaim. So I would ask you this. How is it? How are you proclaiming the gospel to yourself? This good news about Jesus. How do you do that? And if you don't know, uh, then, then look at this passage and, and pray through these things and proclaim to yourself, this is what Jesus has done for me. It changes everything. It doesn't just change the day you were saved. It doesn't just change Sundays when you're singing songs at church with your friends. Uh, it changes every moment of every day that Jesus has saved you for all eternity. And so how do you proclaim that to yourself? Think about that. And then how do you proclaim it to others? How will you proclaim it? And to who has God called you to proclaim that? Who in your life right now needs to hear the gospel? Who is it that God wants to hear about his precious and beloved son? Proclaim it to them in all faithfulness. So as we end this morning, I would just say this. Do you know Jesus as your savior? If you don't, come talk to me or Miguel or one of the elders, somebody else in this church. Talk to them about what it means to trust him. To lean your whole weight on him. That's what it means to trust Jesus. You rely on him alone, not on yourself. If you haven't done that yet, please talk to somebody and do that today. But if you have trusted him, worship him and proclaim him. Because he alone is worthy of our worship. There is no one else like him. And that is why we have Trinity Church. That's why we have the church at all. And that's our, our reason for existing. So I praise God that we will celebrate eternity with him. Um, and, and I look forward to, to the days ahead with all of you as we continue uh, to look at his word and, and see what it is that he wants us to learn. Uh, I'm going to close uh, with a benediction. And then I believe George is going to come up and give some further instructions about what comes next. So if you will, please bow with me in a word for a word of prayer. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to look at your word. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And it's him alone that we worship, God. Uh, We thank you that he alone is our savior, that in him all your fullness was pleased to dwell. And God, we just pray that uh, to you who are able to do far exceedingly above all that we would ask or think, Lord, that to you would be all glory uh, in the church and in Christ Jesus for all eternity. It's in your name we pray. Amen.